Hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We are MVF Church based out of Heber City, Utah. If you'd like to check out the live recording of this teaching, you can find that at mvfchurch.com. We're glad that you've joined us today, so let's get into the teaching. The Gospel according to Luke began by telling us about the births of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. And in the next section of the Gospel, Luke zooms forward in time. So John is now a prophet and he's leading a renewal movement down at the Jordan River. And all of these Israelites are coming to be baptized. The poor, the rich, tax collectors, even soldiers. Yeah, what's going on here? So all of these people are dedicating themselves to a new way of life. By getting dunked in a river? So long ago, Israel came to inherit this land by crossing through the Jordan River. And God gave them a responsibility. They were called to serve him alone, to love their neighbor and pursue justice together. And we know from stories in the Old Testament that they've failed at this repeatedly. Right. So John's calling Israel to start over, to go back through the river and come out rededicated to their God, ready for the new thing that God's about to do. And so it's within this renewal movement that Jesus first appeared. Jesus is baptized by John and the sky opens up and a voice from heaven says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, God's words here are packed with echoes from the Hebrew scriptures. This first line is from Psalm 2, where God promised that a king would come who would rule in Jerusalem and confront evil among the nations. And then this next line is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and it refers to the Messiah who would become a servant and suffer and die on Israel's behalf. Well, if, you're, uh, if you look at Luke chapter 3, you'll notice that we're jumping ahead about 18 years from the last thing we saw in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was in the temple. Both he and John the Baptist are around 30 years old at this point. We don't know a lot about Jesus up to this point other than he was in Nazareth and he was probably a carpenter following in his earthly father's uh, footsteps, Joseph's footsteps. Now, as we tell this story today and we look at it, we're going to be looking at both Luke and Matthew. So if you want, if you've got your Bible, take a uh, placeholder in Matthew chapter 3 as well, because we're going to find that the stories parallel one another. In fact, uh, just so you kind of have an understanding of this as we get through, go through this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what is known as the synoptic gospels or the parallel gospels. Uh, we get the word synoptic gospels. It basically means uh, seen together. It's a uh, comes from a Greek, I mean a Latin word called that says seen together. So they are meant to be seen together, looked at together. John is a little different. It covers some different aspects of Jesus and his ministry, but the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke very much parallel one another. One of the differences is they were written to different audiences, right? and as, also, as well as that they were written by different people. Much like if you had three different people writing a story about you, all three people would have a slightly different emphasis in their story, in the points that they wanted to uh, point out about you, in the way that they saw the story and the way, the way that it happened. But on top of that, they have three different audiences. Uh, but specifically, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and Luke was writing to Gentiles. Remember, we talked last week that Gentiles are just people that were not Jewish, anyone that didn't come from a Jewish background. So there's going to be differences in the way Matthew and Luke handle this kind of thing. 
this story. And actually, in, as we get into the text, I'll point out one of those differences. All right. So with that, let's jump in to Luke chapter 3, <coughs> verse 2 through 6. It says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All right, so I want to point out one of the differences here of Matthew and Luke, uh, because you'll notice this if you read both of these texts throughout the series. They both quote Isaiah chapter 40 here. But if you look at Matthew's quote of Isaiah chapter 40, he only quotes verse 3, while Luke quotes the whole passage of 3, 4, and 5. One of the reasons for this is Matthew writing to a Jewish audience. The Jewish people were students of the scripture. And Isaiah 40 is a very famous passage. And so oftentimes when they would, to quote a famous passage of scripture in the Jewish audience, this is very common within Jewish narratives and writings, they would only quote the very first part of it, allowing their audience to fill in the rest. It was kind of a challenge, if you will, even for the audience. And it was a way of them bringing to memory their, on their own the scripture. So he only quotes verse 3, while Luke, writing to a Gentile audience, quotes 4 and 5. So you'll see that a few times in the, when it refers to Old Testament scripture, if you look at both Matthew and Luke as we're going through this. So I just wanted to point that out because you may come across that and wonder what the difference is. But here's what we want to notice about this. that The text is trying to make clear that John is called to point the Jewish people to Jesus. And he's using Isaiah as a way of talking about the prophecy that someone would come to, to make the path straight, to be the herald for the new Messiah, if you will. So that's what we're establishing here in these first few verses, that John is called to be the one to point the Jewish people to Jesus. And he did this coupled with a baptism of repentance. Now, Baptism wasn't something that was very common in the Old Testament. You don't, you don't read about baptism in the Old Testament. There's allusions to different things where water being a part of uh, cleansing and that kind of thing. But they, the word baptism isn't until we get to this place. And as you saw from the video, John's baptism is symbolic for the Jewish people and the repentance for their disobedience to the God who led them out of Egypt and slavery and establishing them in the promised land. But Jesus' baptism is very different. The, when we get baptized today, it's very different. It's, and it's not just for repentance. It's immersion into Christ. It's a way of symbol, symbolic, it's a symbolic representation of our immersion into Jesus. Now we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 3 because now we're going to learn a little bit about John. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 says this. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So John is wearing camel hair, and he's munching on grasshoppers. Okay? Uh, so this, this is not the common way of people at that time. This was, grasshoppers was, was not the delicacy uh, that you might think it is. This, this, was, this was a way of showing that John had given up. He had, made, uh, he, he had made it something he was committed to of rejecting the comforts of his culture. And he was willing to give everything for his calling. He didn't want anything to distract him from his calling. He knew his calling was, was a, was a short-lived a time period for him to be able to do what he did. And so he was fully committed to his calling. And I think there's something we should note in that. Everything that we are called to in our walk with Jesus comes with some sort of sacrifice. Anytime we're walking with Jesus, there should be, there is going to be a sacrifice. See, if you're not willing to make a sacrifice for a calling that God has on your life, then you're really not following him. You're, you're really just going where you want to go and hoping he'll be with you. And there's a difference. We need to be willing to make sacrifice in our desire to follow after Jesus. So as we go on this journey with Jesus, we need to not ask Jesus to go in our direction. We need to be asking Jesus what the direction he is calling us to is and be willing to submit to that and to be willing to follow it. No, it doesn't mean we need to be martyrs like John the Baptist. Some, I, in last service, I said we don't, we're not all called to be martyrs. And someone came up to me and said, well, who, how many are called to be martyrs? Like, you're kind of joking with me. And, you know, the problem with being a martyr is you're not going to know you're called till this moment's before, probably. I mean, it, you know, um, but, but, but we're not all, mostly of us aren't going to be martyrs for our faith. However, we are called to make sacrifices. And if we're not willing to take difficult stands for Christ, then we not only will compromise our calling, but we are in danger of compromising the message of the gospel. So we have to be willing to make difficult stands for Christ. We're going to see later on that John was martyred and like all the prophets, was willing to risk everything for his calling. All right, let's jump back to Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. It says this. So he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. For now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John was all about preaching a soft, welcoming message to make people feel good, right? Um, you know, can you picture him? He's in his camel hair thing, eating a locust and goes, listen, you snakes. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he lays it out. Um, but I think there's something we need to gain from this. 
Now we can see John preached that way. We will, as we look through the scripture, you're going to see a lot. Most people didn't preach that condemning. But here's the key that I do think we need to get. He wasn't afraid to call out the sin in people's hearts. And here's where I think we really need to apply this today. When we stop talking about sin, people quit looking for a savior. And I would say this, when the church stops talking about sin, it stops pointing to Jesus. Now here's what I mean. We live in a society today that is literally asking, what good is Jesus? Why do I need Jesus? What is Jesus going to do for me? Well, the reason we can even ask a question like that is simply because we don't recognize that we are sinners. And that he has already done the greatest thing that anyone can ever do for us. But if we don't recognize the depravity of our hearts, then we miss it. And we live in a culture right now that basically says, I'm my own God. I mean, we can phrase it however we want, but when we basically say, I do what I want to do, and no one can tell me I'm wrong, nobody can tell me I'm off, and as long as it feels right for me, shut up and stay out of it. Now you're a hater if you're, if you're, not, if you're not supporting me. When, you, when we live with that kind of mindset and thinking, we're literally saying, I'm my own God. And anything that gets in the way of my my pursuit of being my own God is, is, is hateful. See, that's why God says you can't serve two masters. Because and that what we're in the dilemma in our society is, is saying that I'm my own master, and so therefore anything that tells me I should serve something else is wrong. Now, there's two sides of this. On one side, we have churches that are completely afraid to talk about sin. And Christians that don't want to talk about sin. And their mindset of that is, well, in our culture, it comes off harsh. And it does. It comes off harsh to talk about sin. Especially in a culture where people aren't used to being confronted on anything. However, on the other side, there are churches that talk about sin as though it's something that is done outside the church. As though it's something that only people that don't go to church do. Right? They, they will literally kind of say, well, you're, you know, you, you people that sin, you're welcome to be here with us. Us people that don't sin. We'll, we'll, we'll tolerate you people that sin. As if somehow because we go to church, you're not a sinner. You know how freeing it is to just admit you're a sinner? You know how freeing it is to just admit I am a messed up person who screws up and is off the mark and and I'm not going to get it right and I'm not right about everything and I have stuff in my past that you don't even want to know about because it'll make you not want to be near me and and that's my life amen it's a freeing thing and then to be able to say but God I know there's no reason you would want this but I'm giving it to you that is an awesome freeing thing but oftentimes in the church, we treat the world and say, oh, well, they're, you're the sinners, right? God's people have been pointing our fingers at other people since the very beginning. Notice, who is John talking to? 
He's talking to the Jewish people. Do you know what the Jewish people were considered? God's people. He's saying to God's people, you're sinful. In fact, Matthew records that among that group of people, there were the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were, they were not only God's people, they were the ones that saw themselves as really the cream of the crop and everyone else of God's people was just kind of lucky to be a part of the family. Right? That's kind of how they, they looked at it. And he was saying to them, you group of snakes, your hearts are deceitful. And he says, you can't claim that well, I have Abraham. When he says that, when he says you can't claim that I have Abraham, he, he was pointing to the fact that the Jewish people love to point to their heritage and say, well, we're God's people. Look, we come from Abraham. We're God's people. Well, we kind of do that today, though, don't we? I know people that look down on other people because they belong to a certain church. I know people who look down on a certain people because their family is a line of ministry. You know, well, my great-grandfather was a pastor and his grandfather was a pastor. Or, you know, and he goes down the lines and I'm like, that's cool. Where's your faith? Oh, I haven't walked in church in years. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really do any of that. But, you know, it's in my line. You know, it just, I have a connection with Jesus because it's in my line. Right? Or, or because you hold to a certain set of beliefs. Maybe it's like, well, I have the right doctrine. You know, I, I believe all the right things. So what? You can, the Bible says that even Satan believes. He knows. He knows the truth. But the truth is he doesn't want to submit to it. And see, that's the key. So there's two sides of it. On one side, we have the church, that, a lot of churches that don't want to talk about sin. And then on the other side, a lot of churches that are guilty of only pointing out that other people sin and they don't. We're all sinners. In fact, Romans 3, 9 to 12 says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And you see, John is clearly saying here that all of us are going to answer before God. We're all going to answer for, before God for our own hearts. We can't point our finger at our family line our nationality, our religion. We're going to stand before God and we're going to answer for our sin. And here's the good news that John wasn't able to preach yet and we're going to get to that because Jesus had not started his ministry yet. But here's the good news that we all can turn to. We are, yes, we are all going to stand before God and answer for our sin. But once we surrender to Christ, we no longer have to answer for our sin. We get to point to Jesus. That's the only difference between someone who submits to Jesus and someone who doesn't. It's not that you sin less than they do. It's that you get to point to Jesus. When we go before God, we go before God clothed in Christ. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sinful, depraved hearts. He only sees His Son who he loves, who paid the price for your sin. That's the good news. 
And so, verse 10, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Now, I want you to notice the difference between John's answer and the answer that Peter gives. In, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is asked, what then shall we do after he preaches a message about the gospel? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That they should turn to Jesus. John doesn't have that ability to say that. He can only tell them to live a better life at this point. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But notice what he says. He says, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him with him who has none and whoever has food is to do likewise tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him teacher what shall we do and he said to them collect no more than you are authorized to do soldiers also asked him and we what should we do and he said to them do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages so you see what he's saying i mean it's all stuff that you're kind of like well okay yeah like just live a live a decent life, right? That's, that's what he's saying at that point because he doesn't have, he can't really point to Jesus yet other than saying he's coming, right? We're going to get to that. But John's preaching is a, is, a, is a message of turning from your evil ways to prepare their hearts for Jesus. And by doing that, this message, here's what's interesting. This message, when you think about it, I mean, in my mind, it kind of seems simple. Right? If someone living a really crooked life comes to me and they, like they're extorting money and they're like, hey, I want to do, do good by people. What should I do? Um, stop extorting people. Like that, that to me, it seems really simple, right? But obviously this was, this was kind of the way the society had gone to a point where these people were amazed by his teaching and we'll listen to what they said, verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. So remember I said, we talked a couple weeks ago that, that we're in a, after 400 years of silence, the people are waiting for the Messiah. And so this message that he's preaching, they think, well, maybe he's the Messiah. But look at what John says. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. So John is making sure to point to the fact that he is simply the messenger. He's just the messenger. And the only one worthy of recognition is Jesus. In fact, what does he say? He, goes, he says, whose sandals I am not fit to untie. The tying and untying of sandals was not asked of anyone but the lowliest of slaves. You would, do, you, would you know, the average person, you know, tied and untied their own sandals. Only someone who was very wealthy with many slaves and had the lowliest of slaves, and even then just didn't care for their slave at all, would ask them to have them do the untying and the tying of their sandals. It was just a very shameful thing to have to do and John says I am not even worthy of doing that he's setting the stage for the type of honor that Christ deserves in all of our lives now let's jump over to Matthew 
and finish our story in Matthew. Verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. I want you to think about being John here for a second, how this had to feel. He just said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And now he's coming to me to be baptized by me. Imagine how humbling that was. Imagine how scary that was even. I've had the opportunity a couple times in my ministry to be able at uh, conferences and things to, to be able to speak at times when there are people there in the, in the crowd that are, are the kind, are, they're the people who I read their books and I, and I listen to their sermons online a lot. Like people who I have huge respect for. And it's super scary to have to speak in front of them and very humbling because I'm like, you're way better at this than I am. Why are you not up here? And then I find out, it's like, well, they've done it four times a day and they just needed somebody, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but it's like, I, I don't want to do it. I'm nervous to do it. And that's just a normal person who I just respect. John is, bab he's going to baptize Jesus. Can you imagine what's going through his head? Napoleon Bonaparte said this. He said, if Socrates would enter the room, we should rise and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ came into the room, we should fall down on our knees and worship him. And I imagine that's exactly how John is feeling right now. I should be on my knees worshiping you. I, I, I don't even have the right to touch you in this way of, of baptizing you. And no, notice this, Jesus doesn't counteract him. Jesus doesn't contradict what John said. Rather, he just informs his, him as to why he needs to be baptized. It's not because of any sin that he's coming to be baptized for but it's to fulfill his right, to fulfill righteousness, right? He's not like, oh, John, don't worry about it. You're worthy of baptizing me. He doesn't say that. He's like, no, you're right. You're not, but this, is, this needs to happen. Notice, if you'll notice in the Bible, Jesus never, never tells people that they're equal with him. It goes back to what I said during Easter. Either Jesus was an egomaniac or he is who he says he is. Because he never tries to say, oh, no, we're, it, we're the same. In fact, it's kind of interesting. All other world religions recognize Jesus. Did you know that? But Jesus doesn't recognize any of them. Just interesting. Something to chew on. Uh, but Jesus doesn't counteract John, but rather informs him why he needs to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I want to quick say right here, this Jesus' baptism sets a precedent for our baptisms. This is one of the reasons why we, we practice baptism to this day. Literally throughout the New Testament, if you see, when someone gave their life to Christ, they were baptized. And now it's not just for the re repentance of our sins. It doesn't just represent that. It represents an immersion into Christ, completely being immersion, immersed into who he is and him in our life. Um, so, in fact, I just want to encourage you, we're going to have a baptism day in a few, 
uh, weeks. And if you've never been baptized, we would love to love to be able to partake in that with you and let you be baptized. Um, if you're even interested in finding out about it, I would encourage you to go on the app and register. If you don't have the app yet and you want to know about it, come to the uh, Welcome Center. We'd love to connect you connect you with that. But Because uh, baptism is an awesome way of proclaiming before others that I am I immerse myself in Jesus. I I, rep, I identify with him in his death and burial and 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 in the new life that I have through his resurrection. And so, I want to encourage you if you have not taken the step of baptism to consider doing that now. <coughs> All right, let's continue. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the first of three times in the Gospels we see the voice of God the Father recorded. Once here, once in Transfiguration, and once the week before Jesus goes to the cross. All three of these recordings point to All eyes should be on Jesus. All three times we see the Father speak from heaven, it's to say all eyes should be on him. And if you remember, we went when we talked about the announcements of Jesus and John the Baptist two weeks ago, we mentioned that John is called, it's said about John that he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. But with Jesus, it just says that he is the great one. See, even John, who's great in the eyes of the Lord, Jesus himself said that he, of, the, of pe- men, people born of women, he is the, of the greatest. If, even someone like that, at that level, still 100% knew it wasn't about him. And the whole of Scripture, all about it, points to the fact that it wasn't about John, it's about Jesus. And from this point forward, we don't really read anything else about John, other than a, a in the third person, we hear Jesus talk about him and we hear something from John's disciples. But we don't read about John's ministry anymore from this point forward. Why? This was the pinnacle point of John's ministry. This is what it came down to. This is why John lived his life on this earth. The entire record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Gospel of John, which is a different John, by the way. Some people don't know that. Different John follows Jesus from this point forward. See, everything about it points to this one thing. This is the one one thing I think we should all gain from John's life. There's a lot of things we can get from John and his ministry. But to me, the thing that stands out about this is that as much as John is recognized, the story is still not about John. It isn't a story about John. This is a story about Jesus. The only reason John's story is recorded is to help us have a better and clearer picture of Jesus. Everything from God's voice in heaven and the dove descending pointed to the anointing of Jesus. The writers talking about the greatness of John in God's eyes versus the greatness, uh, the greatness of Jesus was pointing to Jesus. John being the king, king's herald was pointing to Jesus. 
And see, it's not just John, even you know, whoever we read about in the Bible. Peter, I, don't, I would love to know more about Peter. I, love the, I feel like I could hang with Peter. He and I, he, he seems like he has foot and mouth disease like I do. And he just kind of was a down-to-earth guy. I feel like I could hang out with Peter. I would love books on Peter. No books on Peter. You know why? Because it's not about Peter. The only thing you read about Peter is in context of pointing to Jesus. Paul. Paul was known as the greatest of the apostles. Only thing we read about Paul is in context of pointing to Jesus. See, and that should be the way it is about all of it. Because it's all about pointing to Jesus. See, John was King's Herald. The gospel writers were, were the, the king's biographers. The apostles were the apostles to the king. Here's my question. What's your role? What's your role? Because here's the deal, you guys. I know this is so hard for us to understand in our society, but it isn't your story. It isn't your story. I don't care what Facebook and TikTok and Instagram tell you. It's not your story. This is Jesus' story. And we get to play a role in it. I think one of the greatest lessons we can learn from John is that no matter what role our, we get to play, it's still always about him. See, so often I think we, we fall into this category. We want Jesus to fit our narrative. We kind of write out the narrative of our life or we have it in our head and we think, as long as Jesus fits what I'm doing, I'm all in with Jesus. But as soon as stuff starts to go wrong or it doesn't go my way or I didn't get what I wanted or I have to look at, and they really examine the, my heart and think about things that God wants me to do in my life or change in my heart that he wants to work in. And it gets tough. We just, we, we push him to the side. As soon as, it, shoot, we push him to the side as soon as our schedule gets a little busy. Jesus, as long as you fit my narrative, let's go. We don't get that it's not our story. We need to get that we are not worthy to get down on our knees before him and untie his sandals. And the fact that we get to play any role in his life at all, any role in his story at all, that should be enough. That is what it's about. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you allow us to be a part of your story. God, that you, the creator of all things, the king of kings, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the great I am, the one who is able to breathe life into existence, you invite us into your story. And God, I pray that we would, God, I pray that you just give us a heart that that be enough. That just be enough to be invited in to be in the presence of the King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. 
We are located at 271 North, 600 West in Heber City, Utah. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.